0: um brady texted me uh i think it was monday or tuesday he's like how how many verses are you are you doing in in revelation 11 and i put two (laughs) and he's like whoa so there's a lot in these two verses though a lot of talk about a lot to consider a lot of questions come up regarding you know the things in these two verses especially um when it comes to the temple of god and the temple that's going to be erected in the tribulation, and what's that going to look like, and how that's going to come about, and so forth. And we indeed know that's the case because there's a lot of scripture and prophecy about the temple during the great tribulation. So we're going to spend a lot of time tonight talking about that, the you know the first and second temple. Then we'll talk about this tribulation temple as the title of the message is tonight. And then we'll even touch on the millennial temple that's talked about in ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 where christ will rule and reign for a thousand years so we're going to cover that and and um, you know try to bring some sense to these things and as well as going through it applications and so forth and if you remember last week there in revelation 10 uh, we saw this mighty angel with a little book and remember he said it's sweet in your mouth but bitter in your stomach and we saw the comparisons to the word of God in that how that there's so many sweet things in the word and we rejoice in those things and then there's some things that are bitter in the word but those bitter things are there to bring correction to our life and it's God dealing with the reality of things and him wanting to redirect us and sometimes that means we get rebuked and we want to be a people that Don't just say give me the sugar but i'll take the bitter too because the bitter is there to make us better and bring us into a better place well we saw that little book and then we saw the instruction given to john to take that book and to eat it and again we considered the the you know at the charge to us to be internalizing god's word to hide in our heart to be a people in the word and as he ate that book uh, it was told to him there in verse 11, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so it's interesting starting in chapter 11. And it seems that in regards to the seals and the trumpets, six trumpets have been blown, those first seven seals. It seems like we're still somewhere in, the, in, in, in the, maybe the early part of the second half of the tribulation But as those seals were being broken and those trumpets blown, there were all kinds of other things that will will be unfolding during that time. And what the Lord, you know, it led John to do was to give, um, you know, a description of those things. And then when it says prophesy again, there's some backtracking. We're going to see some other things that go on during those first six or seven seals and some of those trumpets and like in chapter 11, there's some events that happen in the first half of the tribulation with the erect the, the building of the temple, uh, with the two witnesses that we'll get into next week. And then it begins to move into things that happen in the second half of the tribulation. And so we got to keep that in mind, this prophesying again. It's kind of, we're going to go back and lay out some other things that happened in the course of the tribulation. So let's just read the text together here, and then we'll just dive down in this and start considering things and uh, hopefully just leave here encouraged in the Lord and, and just, you know, with a with a better knowledge of our God and his goodness and his plan and so forth. So he says then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And that's the second half of the tribulation event there. So notice how it starts. He's given this reed. It's put into his hand, and this reed is like a measuring rod. And so this reed's given to him to go measure something. Interesting, though, this is a spiritual measurement that is going to be made, not a physical one, because you can't physically measure a worshiper of God Almighty. And really, even in measuring the temple of God and the altar, it's a reference more to the spirit in that temple and the spirit at that altar and absolutely the spirit in the people that are going to be worshiping in this temple in the tribulation. And it's a reminder to us, you know, tonight that our God is far more concerned in the inner parts of us, the state of our heart, than the outer uh, aspects of our life. Um, you know, I think of King David, and we'll come back to him a few more times in our study tonight, but we are familiar with the account where. Uh, Samuel sent to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul had really forfeited his position through his own rebellion and witchcraft and so forth and remember he shows up there and Jesse's sons are there and some of them are just very impressive outwardly you know by their appearance and their height and so forth and one son in particular really catches Samuel's position he says surely this must be the next king of israel remember god says to him you know not so fast paraphrasing it here man looks at the outward appearance but remember god looks at the heart and god measures the heart it's not saying that the outward appearance has no importance we want to represent god in our outward appearance and so forth It's, it's not to say that there's no concern with the lord concerning those things we have a lot of freedoms in in the outward But we want to absolutely be modest and represent God well in that. But God's far more concerned with the internal things and the spiritual things and the state of the soul and the state of the heart. And absolutely, God has a measuring rod and a measuring stick that he's always, you know, examining our lives with. And no doubt he's doing that in the life of the believer, really wanting to, again, bring us to new places in him. Uh, hopefully it's a thing where we're growing in the Lord as you know the Lord's measuring our life now praise God in Jesus we're born again and we're saved and that's a finished work that that measure is paid and full isn't that good to know tonight that's paid but in our practical lives we want to be growing and there's all kinds of verses that exhort us to be growing you know to take in the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby so many places we're called to abound In the Lord and God's looking at those things and God's wanting that for us he's wanting us to be a people that are growing into maturity and I would encourage yourself to assess your life you know in our home we have a a one door jam and for years we've been marking it with the height of the kids in fact we've painted the room I think maybe twice now but that you know that that one uh, uh, trim piece we don't paint it and they like to go over there and measure themselves still and compare themselves and so forth. And I got two girls that are actually still growing, believe it or not. And uh, I think the other day Stevie measured herself. I've grown a half an inch, you know. And, uh, you know, it is just cool, you know, to see that. And sometimes I'll just stop and look at and I see when they're so little. And part of me goes, oh. And Shannon will go, do you wish they were that little again? I go, no, no, I don't want to go through that again. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm. <laughs> No, really? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> Even though there's, it was far, many, many blessings, but crucified him many times. You know, as parents, we, we know. But you can see the growth. And think about your own life in the Lord. Is the growth there? What's that measuring stick look like? Is it something that if the marks are on the wall, we're growing? And listen, it's, it's not a matter of growing and with that becoming you know full of pride or arrogant or check me out or whatever but hopefully we're growing in the lord learning more about the lord hopefully we can step back and we can give praise to god and in, in gifts he's added to us and doors he's open and you know things he's helped us to manage and so forth god wants to grow us and never come to the place where you're like hey i've i've reached my point i've tapped out no we want to be abounding in the lord all of our days, and even tonight, if you're in the place where, you know, in being honest with yourself, you, you know, I really haven't grown. I've just kind of gotten to this stagnant place, or God forbid, maybe you're like, I've I've been shrinking. You know what's going on here? Because I told, I've been told that starts happening as you get older too. I, I I think I'm on the cusp of it right now, but hopefully that's not us in the Lord. Hopefully we're abounding as He takes out that rig that like that's like a measuring stick, and He measures us now. Interesting, this word reed, it means a stick, it means a cane, it means a baton of royalty. And it's translated in some other place as a staff or a scepter. And a scepter is something that a king has. A scepter is a sign of royalty, it's a staff of royalty. And so he's given this reed that is like a rod, a measuring rod or a scepter and so indeed we know that this is a reed from god almighty and we know that he is the highest royalty he is the king of kings the lord of lords that was prophesied the scepter will never depart from the tribe of judah remember when jacob prophesied that in the in chapters of genesis and it was a prophecy that the messiah would come out of judah and indeed jesus did as god said that he would and so we know that really what is in his hand is the measuring stick of God and absolutely we know that God measures everything by his word that his word is truth and in this you know it again we want to look at our own lives but we also want to be a people who test and measure everything around us by the word of God we want to do that with righteous judgments we want to do that in a manner that would be well pleasing to the Lord but actually, as matter, absolutely, as matters come up in our life, we should be asking, you know what, what's the measuring stick say about this? Or what's God's word say about this? When doctrines pop up, how does this measure up to the scriptures? Um, individuals, without judging the heart, will see that there's a call to measure fruits and so forth. It should always start with ourselves. Situations that arise, and the Bible even says to test spirits, Remember there in Acts when um, Paul went to those in Berea, and he showed up there with the gospel, not with the New Testament. He, He wasn't passing out New Testaments. That was still being written, but Paul would go and preach Jesus out of the Old Testament. He would show them the prophecies of Messiah. He would show them how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. He show them again the proclamations throughout the word that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And when he went to Berea, it says in Acts seventeen eleven, it says these were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. And they notice, searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So Paul came rolling in with a again great reputation as an apostle of the Lord. A man God was using to plant churches and write letters that were absolutely seen as Scripture. Not long ago, we saw Peter's endorsement of Paul's letters being Scripture and so forth. And yet he showed up and they said, let's search the Scriptures, these same Scriptures that Paul's preaching out of, to make sure what he is saying is true. They brought out the measuring stick and listen, that's not just put there in the book of Acts so we can go, oh, wow, you know what? Those Bereans were a lot smarter than those in Thessalonica. This is given to us as a charge to be taking out God's word. And boy, all the more we need to be doing that in the day that we are living in now, because I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of shenanigans going on right. yeah. all over the place. And so he tells, he tells John, rise up and measure. And again, rise up and measure, this is a call to rise up, test, and to judge. Not by John's weights and measurements, but by the rod that was in his hand, by the scepter that was in his hand that indeed absolutely is the word of the living God. And we have been called to judge things. We've been called to test things. We've been called to make righteous judgments again not based on our standard that's when you move into legalism but based on god's word and when we talk about these things i know there's always someone that you know what comes in their mind immediately is matthew 7 1 wait 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 a minute jesus said judge not lest you be judged and that's absolutely true when it comes to unrighteous judgments judging matters that are left to God, and I want—I don't want anything to do with those judgments. And it's also true that we're not to judge if we don't first judge ourselves. Remember what it says there, Matthew seven one: Judge not, let uh, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure, see the word there—the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This Sunday in Romans two will we'll we'll see more about this where we saw last week that whole list of all those sins and it says those that practice those things and approve of them there's a judgment upon them and then in chapter 2 it says who are you to judge them when you do the exact same thing? When you're unrepentant of things and you practice and you're like, well, I, you know, there was a list of 23 things plus some earlier sins, so maybe 25 sins or so, maybe 30. There's a lot of sins there. And you're like, well, I only practice these three sins, so everyone that practices the other 27, I'm going to judge them. Well, wait a minute. You need to judge yourself first. So with the way you judge, it's going to be measured back to you. And it says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes and do not consider the plank in your own eyes? So, with that measuring stick, it's important that we first, again, judge ourselves. How are we growing? Are we growing in the Lord? What's my doctrine look like? What's the fruit of my life look like? Are there planks in my own eye? And this is quite humorous when the Lord was saying this. You know, he's painting a picture of someone with a plank or a log in their eye. You know, think about that a log sticking out of their eye, trying to point out the speck in their brother's eyes and if 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 you know what you want to point out specks and measure people's specks you know the the speck that's a big speck in that eye you know as i bring out my measuring stick we need to first measure ourselves are there logs in my eye and listen you need a big tape measure for logs because they can be giant and then he says or how can you say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and look the plank is your own eye hypocrite first remove the plank in your own eye so we want to start with that measuring stick are there planks in my eye what's my doctrine is it sound what's the fruit of my life look like you know as people say be a fruit inspector start with your own fruits because then from there we see righteous judgments remove the plank from your eye so you may so you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye and when you see you know what when you're seeing clearly and you see a speck in your brother's eye when you see that in a clear way, it's not you seeing it in their eye to want to come and trample them, want to condemn them. I'm just going to tell them off, you know. It, it, when you see clearly, you see a speck in your brother's eye and you grieve for them. And you want to come alongside and love. You've looked to yourself first, lest you get stumbled in that process. And then you go to them with a righteous judgment and you say, hey, bro, let me talk to you, man. I see this going on in your life. We're all sinners here, but I want to help you with this matter. That's a righteous judgment, amen? That's something that God wants us to be abounding in. And then he says from here, do not give what's holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And we've talked about this before. How do you know who the dogs and hogs are? You got to (laughs) judge You, you 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 know you you judge the fruit you judge the doctrine you judge the intent you judge the track record and so forth and there's got to be judgments made but if you don't first judge yourself and test yourself and you're not real with yourself before the lord it ain't, your your measurements are all going to be off and so we got to start with ourselves are we judging ourselves testing ourselves and again it's not a call to be so self-focused because absolutely we want our focus upon the lord jesus christ and if your eyes are on the lord listen it's it's pretty easy to measure it's like my eyes on the lord i fall short in everything because he's perfect and i'm not and so our focus wants to be on the lord but listen this is a call to to real self-awareness honesty and i'll tell you there's some people they just refuse to go there they, they get in their little rut. They never grow if they're even saved. They don't want to deal in honesties with themselves, with others, and especially with the Lord. And a lot of times they get in that place as their little refuge or their little safe space. But that's not a place of refuge. Let me tell you, that that's a place of spiritual death. That's not a place of growth. And it takes a step of faith to start by being honest with the Lord. And then from there, there's all these charges, and we've looked at many of these before. But I think it's important in that he's being told to rise up and test and measure. And in this day that we're in, when, you know, Matthew 24, we looked at it probably about a year ago, that Olivet Discourse, remember, they asked, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And we spent a lot of weeks looking at all those signs. And the one thing that comes up four times, it comes up more than anything else, it says there's going to be massive deception, There's massive deception in the world today, do you realize that? There's massive deception that's come into many parts of Christianum. There's massive deception in the world around us. And with that, we need discernment. And discernment, listen, if you're not honest with yourself before the Lord, if you don't deal in truths before God, if you can't even discern your own life, how are you going to discern all this deception? It's the reason, in my opinion, why the deception is devouring so many people. Where you look and you're like, how are they following this? You know? How, how do they follow this guy? How are they following this, you know, mandate, whatever it is? There's a lot of them out there that, that they're, they're unbiblical, they're unscriptural. How, they, there's no discernment. They're not measuring things by God's word. They're not even being honest with themselves. And a lot of times it's like, well, look at I'm just going to roll with it. And just, just because it's easier just to hope it will all work out for good. But remember last week we saw on that list in Romans 1 of those sins. Remember what one of them is? They're undiscerning. They're undiscerning. And it, 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 it's a reflection on the fact they don't want to discern themselves. It's people that can't step back and say, you know what, it's true. I got, a, I got an anger problem here and I need to deal with it. Or it, instead of that, they just say, well, everyone makes me mad. No one can make you mad. Did your mom ever tell you that growing up? No one can make you mad. Listen, what it is is that's a situation that brings out the anger in you. Now, of course, there's, some, there's righteous anger, and that's, that's a good thing when it's, when it's uh, you know it acted on in a righteous way. But when people just blow up all the time over situations, oh, everyone's making me mad. No, you got anger in your heart. Use a proper measurement here. Yeah, there, there's a lot out there that can make you mad, but if you blow up all the time, and listen, if that's the case, you're not gonna have any discernment. You might think you do, but, but you don't. So again, we need to test all things. As it says there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. We see in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, it says about wolves and sheep's clothing, you're gonna know them by their fruits. So you got to test the fruits. Well, again, if I, can't even, if I can't even examine the fruits of my own life, how am I going to do that in another's? And if I do that in another's, am I even doing that in a righteous way? Or is it a thing of, I want to point out bad fruit so I feel better because my, my fruit's not quite as bad as theirs, so I'll pat myself on the back. There's a lot of that that goes on, isn't there? Where I'll feel better about myself, about just pointing out flaws versus, hey, look, at this is bad fruit to warn somebody or bad fruit to be able to go administer to somebody so it goes on i mean there i have some other verses for you first corinthians two fifteen: he who is spiritual judges all things again it's a testing and we make judgments every day some people they start hearing this well i'm just not a judgmental person well listen when you go to the store to buy milk do you just grab the first one or you start looking at dates on that milk cart you should be looking at the dates and if you don't you'll you'll pick one one day that you'll get home and you know what the day after it's it's like cottage cheese and you didn't look at the date on there especially nowadays they try to push that stuff even more with everything going on and all of a sudden like, I got to start judging this milk well listen shouldn't you all the more do that in spiritual things I think we should again it's the intent behind it first Corinthians fourteen twenty nine. let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge I got a word for you brother I got a prophecy okay well let's hear it well now I'm going to judge it no oh, you can't judge me I'm a prophet well if you're a real prophet you'd say go ahead and judge it now test it and then first John 4 1 do not believe every spirit but test the spirits and then we see in Revelation 2 2 Church being committed, uh, committed in Ephesus, you've tested who say those are pro- apostles or not, found them to be liars, and he's commending them. So we want to be using those measuring rods. And so the first thing he measures here, again, is the temple of God. And this is a temple that is yet to be built. little background on the temples of God. We know that when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle, and if you read back there, in, uh, you know, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's more than one you know it's series of chapters where it gives all the details of the tabernacle. That can be hard reading when you're reading through the Bible, right? To be honest, where it's like, yo, know, fifty of these and forty of those, and they're using measurements. You're like, what well, in the world's a cubit and whatnot there's there there look at there there's reasons for those things and there's all kinds of spiritual truths in those things but that's how it started God said, to build a tabernacle and in that there was a holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was and god came in on the mercy seat and even when they were there with the tabernacle with this tent and there'd be times when they would move that tent remember god went before them as a pillar at, a, a fire at night and a cloud by day they would bring those sacrifices before the lord we know eventually, as we mentioned about him earlier, David became king. In that time, they were able to go in and capture the city of Jerusalem, which had been already deeded to them. So there were, you know, squatters in Jerusalem. There were squatters in there, the Jebusites. And the Lord absolutely had directed David to go and take that city. Because we know Jesus himself is of the, the, the priesthood of the line of Melchizedek. And I know we're getting some history here, but earlier in Genesis, remember Abraham, he went and he brought offerings to Melchizedek, who was what? The king of Salem, Jerusalem. God already established a presence there. And so in David's time, they captured Jerusalem. It's the way Joab got back in the good graces of David. That was that, Joab's a guy that, you know, it just keeps coming back and <laughs> whatnot. You, you got to respect his tenacity and so forth. And you know what? they moved the tabernacle there and then it was on david's heart to want to build a temple unto god and remember the prophet says listen do everything that's in your heart and then later on that night god says look it i'm not going to use your hands to build the temple you've spilt too much blood in your life with all the wars you fought and so forth but david so wanted to see a temple built really his last days was spent accumulating all of the resources and materials that would be used on that temple and then eventually David had a son his son Solomon grew up and eventually he became king and remember the Lord blessed him and used him to build that first temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah the same place where Abraham had you know what brought Isaac to offer him up and the Lord says I'm going to provide a sacrifice for myself in this place and it was that exact same place where Solomon would build that temple and it's beautiful when you read about it in the scripture that when that temple was dedicated it says the Shekinah glory of God came and filled that temple and it was so powerful and so awesome everyone had to play out the doors because it was just like we, we we can't even stand in here in the presence of this great glory of god and they really started off well in dedicating the temple and listen over the years there were times there were highlights when the temple was managed well and there was true worship there and so forth but unfortunately you know what there were many times when that wasn't the case and we know that the southern tribe there of judah um you know as time went by they began to reflect more and more their brothers to the north that were worshiping idols and so forth and we know that they were ignoring the seventh year sabbath to let the land rest and eventually and we talked a lot about this uh in daniel this past summer eventually you know what god kept telling them to repent and they wouldn't and eventually um you know what they were taken into captivity and it was 70 years over 490 years they never let the land rest so God took him into a captivity for 70 years and we know in that time the Babylonians took him into captivity and they destroyed that temple it was completely wiped out well God also gave promises though when he took him away he said to him I know the plans I have for you they're not for evil but They're to bless you and to give you a future and hope. And God told them that when they went into captivity. And we saw this past summer Daniel reading the prophet Jeremiah and understanding, listen, 70 years is almost up. And God's going to bring us back. And we saw God raising up kings and situations that he named by name. And finally the decree was issued for them to be able to go back down and to rebuild the temple. And at this point, listen, there were... There, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews that had been, you know, mixed into the whole Babylonian and then the and persian empire. And when the time came for them to go back, only a fraction actually went back. And on Tuesdays, the ladies are studying the book of Esther. And the book of Esther really revolves around the Jews who didn't go back. Now, God was faithful to them even when they were, you may be able to argue faithless to the call of God. Aren't you glad that he's faithful when we're faithless? But they went back down, and listen, it was a struggle to rebuild that temple again. It was, it was all, it was stone, it was, it was rubble, it was completely wasted. And yet, what a beautiful verse in Zechariah 4, 6, as they're looking at, you know, at just nothing there, and realizing we got to rebuild the temple, and the temple of solomon was so glorious and as they're looking at this and it just seems like something that there there's no way they can accomplish it says this is the word of the lord to zerubbabel he was the governor not by might nor by power but by by spirit says the lord of hosts who are you O great mountain before zerubbabel you shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace and grace to it And so he's looking, this is an overwhelming task. And the Lord just says, listen, Zerubbabel, it's not by might nor power. Look at, God's saying, I know in yourself, I'll even, God's even saying, I know in yourself, you can't even muster up, there's no way you guys can rebuild this. You just can't. You got limited resources. You got, you know, limited finances. But by the spirit of God, it's going to get rebuilt. And indeed, by the spirit of God, it happened. And this is, a, this is a passage, it's a big thing that God gives to us for our little lives because how many times are there things that just seem like they're in disrepair and they're broken down and tasks that just seem so overwhelming, but you know it's something that God's called you to. You need to go back to these texts and realize, look at. It's not by my, my might nor power that this is going to get done. If anything's going to happen, it's got to be by the Spirit of God. So I want to be dependent upon God and look to God and recognize this is God's thing here. So God, you do what you want to do. Listen, you know how many times over the years in the ministry where there, there were situations and so forth where just like, I don't know how we're going to get this done. And it's just like, Lord, we need your help. I've even seen recently in some things like, okay, Lord, nothing's moving here and Just cried out to the Lord, and within a week, bam, 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 just unfolds, and stuff just starts moving again. And I think, thank you, Lord. This is the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you, in the day we're living in right now, because this is an end-time study, and I mentioned it earlier. I mentioned it in prayer. Listen, our resources and our efforts uh, to to, to go out and combat a lot of this deception that's out there, to, to stand against the gates of hell, to evangelize and be the people of God in of ourselves listen it's an ant versus a giant it really is and if, if if you start thinking about it and and I'm not saying there aren't things practically God's called us to do there's things he calls us to do and we need to go do it but if you think that a bunch of folks that recognize there's a lot of evil in the world and we're going to go overthrow it in our own efforts Hey, we're gonna go throw, we're gonna go have a rally and we're gonna overthrow this thing. Hey, we're gonna all go overthrow this thing by everyone voting this fall. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a rally. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. You should do those things. But if you think that's what's gonna overthrow these things or even bring a revival in the state that we're living in, our efforts, you've been bamboozled. Listen, we gotta be a people that are dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. A people in the word, a people of prayer. I'm not talking about chaos here. I'm not trying to talk about drumming up these false revivals that have happened in my lifetime. I'm talking about being a people that are humble before God, honest before God, that are in a place where we're willing to be used by God. And we're crying out to God and we know our God is greater than all this. I'll tell you, it's very liberating, very freeing. Because when I think about these tasks and these things at hand, when I think about living in the state that I'm living in and a great amount of corruption and wickedness and evil, when when there's so much perversion and corruption that I've seen come into Christianom, look at I, I, I just feel like I'm a nobody from nowhere that can't do anything, but I know my God can do all things. And it it's very empowering when you recognize, yeah, I don't got anything. I I, I don't have the I don't have you know again it's like a slingshot versus a nuclear weapon but God is greater than any than than a million nuclear weapons God's greater than all that and listen God that's the God of your life tonight to see you through just the day-to-day things to provide for you as you look to him as you walk in your convictions as you walk in the truth of God's word there's just too many Christians that shrink back and say well I got to go along because God won't provide he will provide he will go before you, not by might nor power, but by the Spirit of God. And so that temple was rebuilt. I gotta get going here. We gotta get through these two verses. <laughs> it would get rebuilt, and we know eventually it would get uh, it, it, it would get blinged out by Herod. <laughs> he he would widen the base and bring all this into it and so forth an Edomite. And we know eventually the Lord would walk in that temple. And it's interesting, on that day in Matthew 24, it was in Passion Week when the Lord was headed to the cross. That's when the disciples asked, what will be the signs of the coming and the end of the age? And you know what? Before he asked them that, they're coming out of the temple, and the Lord had just harshly rebuked the Pharisees in there, and it seems like the disciples wanting to like ease the moment. They said, oh, isn't this awesome? Look at all these bricks here. Look how great this temple is. And the Lord prophesied he said, "Do you see all these things? As surely I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another; they'll all be thrown down." And forty years later, God gave them a generation to repent. And forty years later, in seventy A.D., give or take a couple years, it was absolutely brought to the ground. And we, we we're familiar with with the historical record where they Titus didn't want it burned down; he wanted it kept, you know, as a monument. And yet, as the priest fought against the the Romans, fire broke out. And we know that the the inside of the temple was really basically plated with tons of gold. And it began to melt and go between the stones. And those Roman soldiers, look it, it was bonus time for their paycheck. They began to take those bricks apart. And they took every brick apart to get the gold that had gone through. Just as Jesus had prophesied now listen that happened in 70 AD John's writing this in 95 AD it's been 25 years since the temple stood in Jerusalem and now he's talking about another temple and he's being told to stand up and measure it spiritually so there was no temple in Jerusalem when he was writing this and if you're not familiar with Jerusalem I'll just update you there's still no temple today There's no temple there right now. And this has moved some people to say, well, all these things have already happened. Now some similar things have happened because we know prophecy oftentimes as a series of prophetic events that are similar to each other, then there's a final fulfillment of prophecy. And that's the case with you know what's being talked about here. There's no temple now, but we know that there will be a temple. And we saw this summer, or this past year in Daniel, there in Daniel 9, where we read about this Antichrist, and we talked a lot about this, he's going to confirm a covenant for a week, or for seven years, with Israel and her neighbors, and you know what, there's a lot of upheaval, and and, you know what, you know what? Uh, 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 little wars and things that break out constantly, and there's so much focus on that area of the world. This guy's going to come along and confirm that covenant. It says, "But in the middle of the week, he shall bring it into a sacrifice and offering." Well, sacrifice and offering has to take place in the temple, and so this temple is going to be erected. A lot of people have a lot of different speculations of when that's going to happen, but it seems my my guess would be that's going to happen right after this covenant is made because right now on the temple mount where the temple once was there there's a there's a mosque there that's called the dome of the rock and even in even in the six-day war in 67 israel had an opportunity to blow that thing up to blow it to smithereens and they didn't do it because they recognize if we do that it's probably going to trigger world war three So we'll take the city, we're going to let that stand there. And even to this day, though the Temple Mount is right there in Israel, they allow, um, I think it's the the Jordanians and then Saudi Arabia is getting involved now to basically oversee the Temple Mount. Where um, religious Jews, they're not even allowed to go up there. That's why you see them all at the, the Wailing Wall. You're like, you ever, you, we've all seen that, where they're at the, the western wall, the wailing wall, and you, know, they, you can put stuff in the cracks, and they sit and they pray. By the way, when they do this, what that is, it's, it's Kabbalah that's come into to, to Judaism. They think that God is in a trance, and they have to go like this to create cosmic sparks to wake God up. That's what happens when you reject Jesus. You get real weird. Um, I've been at that wall several times, and every time I go there, I take out, gospel tracks and i shove it all through the wall like some jews going to read this and get saved so <laughs> i've given away a lot of my secrets in the rabbinical tunnels i'm they might if i disappear one day that might be what it is they, they're coming after me but so so they don't even occupy that now and there's the dome of the rock and yet in israel there's there's a group called the temple institute and I got I got a little blurb about them there in your notes and they have been working for a long time to have everything in order to start sacrifice to get in that temple they even know who the levites are they know that through dna they they've they've you know they have all the priestly garments they have everything the last thing they're working on is the red heifer which is part of like you know at the 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 sacrifice and so forth and i saw an update the other day they had two cows and they thought they were almost at maturity and they're almost at the point to be able to 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 basically slaughter them and burn them to have the ashes of the red heifer we'll talk about that at some other time and out of nowhere a white hair showed up on them <laughs> and they're like oh because they can't have any white hairs it, it just goes back to scriptural things and so forth but here's the deal with that all you got to do look at this is going to be a t- compromised temple if they don't got it by then, I guarantee you, someone will go just pluck those white hairs and they say bring them in because this whole thing's compromised. So it seems like in that time, that's when that will be built. And then some people say, well, what about the Dome of the Rock? Because the Muslims believe the Dome of the Rock is the exact place where the temple was, and they think it's in the exact place where where Abraham offered Isaac. And they're like, so how can the temple be rebuilt? Because it has to be in the right place, or so many legalities and boundaries and things in the scripture. Well. Listen, if you've ever gone to the Temple Mount, we know from Ezekiel that the center, the the Holy of Holies is in exact alignment with what's called the Golden Gate, where the Golden Gate is in exact alignment with the Holy of Holies and where the Temple is. And if you go there, guess what? You find out the Dome of the Rock is not in alignment with it. There's another structure up there called the Dome of the Spirit. And if you stand right there, you're in exact alignment with the Golden Gate and there's Jewish archaeologists who have claimed they've seen the Ark of the Covenant and it's underneath the Dome of the Spirit. And these are like credible archaeologists. I'm not saying it's there or not or they're right, but they've, they've put their name on the reputation, the reputation on the line saying that it is. And so here's the thing. We'll read about the, the Gentiles having the outside of the court. If that is where the, where the Holy of Holy was, if the temple's erected right there and they probably could erect this thing or at least some type of tabernacle overnight it puts the dome of the rock in the court of the gentiles just as it talks here in verse two about the court of the gentiles hopefully we'll get to verse two um but it's just fascinating that all these things it looks and you're like oh that temple seems so far away and yet it's so close It's so close. A lot of people thought during the Trump administration there might be a deal worked out where that temple would be erected, and there's a real push in Israel today, maybe more than they've ever had. There's there's a longing, a stirring in the hearts of Jews there to want to get that temple built, and the Bible talks about that stirring in the last days, and it's really going to get stirred in the Ezekiel 38-39 war, which maybe we'll look at that after our study in Revelation. Revelation but this temple the thing about this temple guess what it's not going to measure up in this dispensation it doesn't measure up in the new covenant because guess what this ain't going to be the temple of the lord this can be the antichrist temple you know where the temple of god is today right in this room (laughs) is jesus your lord and savior you can say amen tonight you're the temple of god 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? I trip out on that. The Spirit of God dwells in us. We're his temple. And this Antichrist, though, is going to go into this temple. We read it there in Daniel. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. And in the middle of the tribulation, and we're around that time in this re-prophesying of things here in chapter 11, we know in the middle of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, things are going to be smooth between him and the Jews. But in the middle, they're going to have daily sacrifice in there. In the middle, he's going to go in and bring a sacrifice that's abominable to the Jews. And we read in 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, it says that he's going to declare himself to be God and want to be worshipped as God. And this moves into verse two where he says, don't measure the outside where the Gentiles are. The holy city is gonna be underfoot for 42 months or the last three and a half years. So really, the first verse in the temple, that's gonna happen during the first three and a half years, the first 42 months. The second 42 months, again, that abomination of desolation is gonna come forward. The Jews are gonna wake up. They're gonna recognize this is not Messiah And then that city's gonna be trampled underfoot. We'll talk more about that in a second. I don't got time to read it, but if you go to Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, it talks about another temple. You might call it the fourth temple, probably more the third temple of God. And this is gonna be a temple that is erected during the thousand year reign of Christ. And the nations will have to come up to worship the Lord there, to bring sacrifice there. Now it won't be sacrificed for their sin, but what it will be, that sacrifice will be offered and it will be offered out of praise looking back at what Jesus had done for them. Just as in the Old Testament when they brought sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats never took away their sins. That was all them, it was an IOU looking forward to Christ who would eventually come and fulfill their faith being the one who would take away their sins. And I, I've, seen people, I've seen people leave Christianity over Ezekiel chapter 47. I, I remember years back, there was a missionary. He was a cousin of a guy in the church. And he renounced Christianity over Ezekiel 47. Because he's like, well, in the millennial reign, they're going to bring those sacrifices for their sin. So Jesus isn't the only way. And I'm like, dude, have you read the whole Bible? This will be an act of worship and sacrifice unto God looking back to what Jesus had done, just as in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, it never takes away sins. It can't. How can a goat be your substitute for your sins? That's a goat. That's a bull. That doesn't pay the price. We need a a man who is sinless, and that's Jesus. So listen, the, 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 the temple will fall short when it's measured. The altar will fall short. Because, again, on that altar, they're going to start the daily sacrifice. I got it there in your notes, Hebrews 10.4. For it's not possible, the blood of bulls and goats, to take away sin. They're they're, they're sinners. Jesus is the fulfillment. It's only through him, Hebrews 10.10, that by that you have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all so listen the temple will be measured and fall short the altar will be measured and fall short and the worshipers there will be measured at this point and they'll fall short as well because again these are going to be jews with this covenant with antichrist but they're not their worship is not going to be accepted by god that's only accepted through the lord jesus christ galatians 3 26 you're all sons of god through faith in jesus christ for as many of you were baptized into Christ have so put on Christ, notice there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then your Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise. There's still natural Israel today, the genealogy, the you know, the genealogical, if that's a word, Israel. But they're not spiritual Israel if Christ is not in their heart. Is Jesus your Lord tonight? You're spiritual Israel. You're a spiritual Jew. That doesn't make us natural Israel. The time is coming, though, when natural Israel, and we'll get on this later in Romans. We'll touch on it here in a second. Through all of this, they're going to recognize Jesus is Lord, and absolutely all Israel will be saved. And then they're going to fulfill, you know what, their call of being spiritual Israel as well. But these, this temple, this altar... And these individuals worshiping, they're all going to measure up short. And we know when that abomination comes in, it's going to trigger a time called Jacob's trouble. I got the reference here, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's going to be a time of great trouble. Daniel says about it in Daniel 12, 1, and there shall be a time of trouble such as at such as never was since there was a nation even to that time and at that time your people shall be delivered because through all of this blowing up we know that God's going to bring Israel through and bring them to the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord now quickly verse two it says with this measuring stick he says leave out the outside of the temple and don't measure it for it's been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months this is the second half of the tribulation listen in the first half of the tribulation things seem peaceful between israel and the antichrist they're offering daily sacrifice they're thinking this guy's messiah and so forth in the middle he's going to say i'm god bring a bring a sacrifice that's abominable and then he's going to go to try to destroy them in a time called jacob's trouble so in the second half, he says, the holy city, Jerusalem, is given over to the Gentiles, and they trample the city, and they trample the Jews underfoot for 42 months. So he says, Don't even don't even measure them. You, you don't even have to judge them. You don't even have to. Why? Because listen, anyone in the second half of the tribulation that's in Jerusalem, trampling it underfoot, who's trampling Jew underfoot, The only way they're permitted to do that is if they take the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast happens in the middle of the tribulation. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. I know that's disappointing to some people. (laughs) I was really hoping that would be the mark. I think it's a precursor. I think when in San Francisco, I can't go into In-N-Out Burger and have me a nice double-double... Unless I have a a, a, vaccine, a vaccine passport. I can't go in there and eat unless I have this. I can't go buy a burger and, and eat it unless I have that. That sounds a lot like the mark of the beast. I, I, it, it, it blows me away that those people just, yeah, yeah. Someone snitched on. Someone got snitched on for going into the in and out Burger to buy a burger. Who would do that? who in the right mind would do that we're like well we got to be protected from the unvaccinated that means your vaccine doesn't work <laughs> look at i'm i'm not making judgments on people who've had it or haven't you do your research i've done mine that's a hard pass you do your research i'm, I'm not we're not going to divide over that people got different situations whatever but if you think that's right or upright you've done lost your mind you have no discernment there's probably a lot of planks in your eyes that you need to deal with it's a conditioning and we know again i got verses i don't got time to read it revelation 13 it's around this time it's when the mark of the beast is instituted you can't buy or sell without that mark people say buy sell or trade nothing about trading You can trade. You can't buy or sell. Obviously, you're trading outside of their system. You can't buy or sell, and if you don't take the mark, they're going to kill you. Now listen, when they take that mark, they're damned to hell. They're on earth, but they are damned to hell. They They are pledging allegiance to the beast, to the dragon, to the false prophet, to the unholy trinity. Satan is an imitator, not an innovator, they're absolutely saying we want to be this system. we talked about it before. Most likely it will be a changing of even the DNA to be recreated in the image of the beast. And people say, it's not human anymore. Well, it's a guy that's bought a, 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 you know, snake oil, literally. <laughs> and notice what it says in Revelation 14, uh, nine and ten try to hurry a third angel followed them we'll get into this down the road Sing with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast and the image and receives the mark on his forehead or hand he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is poured out full of strength into the cup of his indignation he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb if you take that mark don't even measure them you don't need to measure them they've taken the mark they're under God's indignation, and you're like, oh, but they'll have a nice three and a half year run because they will be able to buy, you know, a, 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 an in and out burger. If I don't know if in and out burger is going to survive the first three and a half. Um, but listen, in Revelation 16:2, it says. So the first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and foul and loathsome sores came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. This idea that, oh, the Antichrist and his crew is going to have it so easy in the tribulation because they're going to be power, they get pummeled time and time again even in that time. You'd be far better off even practically not taking that thing than taking it. Don't, don't when, 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 you know what, wicked men dangle a carrot before you, don't take of it. <laughs> Don't partake of it. Oh, I think they're good guys. Have you seen the track records? Do you listen to what they say? Do you listen to what actually comes out of their mouth? You got to use some discernment. You got to put on big boy pants and use some discernment in all of this. So it says they're going to tread on the holy city for 42 months. This is Jacob's trouble. Tread here means to trample as in the making of a path. So this is the idea of stepping on over and over and over and over again. Quickly, though, Jeremiah 30 prophesies about all of this. In verse 3, he says, For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they they shall possess it. Now that happened once after that captivity when the temple was destroyed. But that's happened again. Again, prophecy, there's always series of them in the scripture. That's happened again, you know, it's 70 years ago in 1948 when Israel was rebirthed. That's still happening now. God's still bringing Jews back now. A lot of the stuff going on in the world is bringing more Jews back to that area. And if you tip down to verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, and there is none like it, and it shall be a time of Jacob's trouble. Notice the next word, though, but he shall be saved out of it. And then it goes on to say, foreigners shall no longer enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, who I will raise up for them. That hasn't happened. Where it says David, David is associated with Jesus on the, you know, he is of the genealogy through the seed of David. It's talking about Jesus here. And then he goes on, I got it underlined. He says, Though I make a full end, I will make a full end of the nations where I have scattered them. That hasn't happened. He's going to make a full end of these nations, and yet I will not make a complete uh, end of you, but I will correct you in justice and let not you, uh, and, and, and not let you go altogether unpunished. So there's consequences, but I'm going to save you. These other nations are going to be judged because we know at the end of that time, the nations of the world are going to gather around here. Quickly, listen, that word is from a root word. The word trample there, it's a root word uh, that, that is to sting, especially the sting of a scorpion. And we know this is just going to be men. Again, we know that this is going to be associated with the demonic. And we'll get into this, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But in Revelation 12, it talks about a war that I believe is yet to happen in heaven where Satan is going to be kicked out. Satan has access to heaven right now. And it, the Bible says he accuses us night and day. The book of Job confirms that. Other places in the scripture confirms that. But there's going to come a time in the middle of the tribulation, it seems, where they're, Satan's going to get kicked out. And he's going to come to the earth And he knows his time's short, and he has great wrath. And this all seems to coincide at the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation. Next week, we'll see in the first half of the tribulation, there's two witnesses. They finally kill them everyone rejoices and then the lord resurrects them three and a half days later and takes them up to glory there's all these events that happen in the middle and it seems to all go around satan getting kicked out of heaven knowing his time's short so i'm going to prop my guy up there in in the temple he's going to claim to be god and it's all on we're bringing the mark of the beast anyone that doesn't take it we're going to kill and we're going after israel to destroy them because if there's no israel for jesus to come back to we'll prove god to be a liar and we'll have victory. That's the mindset. But God is going to bring a third of Israel through. He's going to protect, repentant Jews, it seems, in that time. Zechariah 13 speaks of that. And then we know that absolutely... At the end of that three and a half years, 42 months, God's going to come back, and those nations that have been trampling Israel along with tribulation saints for seven years, guess what? The Lord's going to come back, and he's going to trample them. And it says their blood's going to be as high as the horse's bridle, because God's a lot better at trampling than men are. Do you know that? And so this is all going to go down in the holy city. And there's only one city in the scripture called that. It's the city where the Lord died and rose, where the nations will gather together. The city that's gonna be trampled underfoot during that time of Jacob's trouble. But it's a city where the Lord's gonna come back and it says he's gonna set foot on the Mount of Olives and they're gonna split. And it's gonna rain for a thousand years. And then a new Jerusalem will eventually come back and that city is Jerusalem. And we'd be wise to pray for her peace. Psalm 22, 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And there's a lot of people that don't love Jerusalem. There's a lot of people that name the name of Christ that don't love Jerusalem. They don't love Jewish people. They curse them, in fact. And I get why they do that in their ignorance, because it is true there are many wicked Jews in the world today. There's many Jews running a lot of wicked things. They're very, re, 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 you know, they're, they're very much like Judas himself. But listen, that doesn 't negate the promises of God. Every man will give an account for himself before the Lord. If anything, it all the more shows the grace of God that a people who rejected Christ and it 's not all the people, most the common people are just people and some of the sweetest people i 've ever met in my trips to Israel but these, place, these men in high places, look at many of the bankers and Hollywood people and so forth and influencers, they are wicked Jews. Steve, you can't say that. Well, it's the, are we dealing in truce here. And the Lord even said, if you reject me, it's going to be bad. Let, let, let your blood be on us and our children. A lot of that persecution has been brought on by their own behaviors and such. But listen, it all the more shows the grace of God that through all that God would be faithful to this people though they're faithless to him. That makes me marvel. And there's always been a remnant of believing Jews. We got some of them in our fellowship here. Doesn't make him any better than any Gentile. And you're like, "I got to search my genealogy to see if I have any Jewish blood in me so I can feel more spiritual." You're fooling yourself. You're already a spiritual Jew. In Christ Jesus. But natural Israel will be saved, and we should pray for her peace. And we should be mature enough to separate these things versus getting called, pu- pulled into this gross, growing anti Semitism and replacement theology that's sweeping through the church, which is very, very anti Christ. It absolutely is. We can deal in realities and still pray for the peace of Jerusalem, can we not? So, Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you for our time in here. We thank you for your word, God. Oh, Lord, I marvel at your prophetic word. We thank you, Lord, that, God, we're measured and we're found acceptable because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice in that tonight. And, Lord, if there's any here who haven't called on your name, I would hope they would see they don't measure up, and they would humble their hearts and call on you to be their Lord and Savior. Help us from there, God, to be found a people growing in you, Lord. Let us not grow stagnant, God. Let let, let us not grow lukewarm. Knock off the rust. Stir us up, God. Give us a fresh, zeal, fervency, and unction for you and endurance tonight. And shine your face upon your people. We want to ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.